Welcome to Axios Recap, sponsored by JPMorgan Chase. I'm Naomi Shaven, and I'm filling in for Dan. Today is Tuesday, March 30th. COVID cases are up, the percentage of U.S. adults who say they won't get vaccinated is down, and we're focused on a space mission called Inspiration4. Last month, my colleague Miriam Kramer was on the show. She writes the Axios Space Newsletter, and she was talking about a space mission that will involve only regular people. There will be no professional astronauts on this space flight. When it takes off this fall, it will orbit Earth and then return. They'll be traveling on a spacecraft provided by SpaceX, and the mission is being led by a tech entrepreneur named Jared Isaacman. The three other crew members are a volunteer from St. Jude, someone chosen by Raffle, and the winner of a competition. It's part eccentric billionaire stunt, part fundraiser for St. Jude, and huge part a critical test of what the next chapter of spaceflight could look like. And today, the mission finally revealed the full civilian crew. Meanwhile, there are two other missions that have popped up. Dear Moon, a space tourism project funded by a Japanese billionaire that seeks everyday people as crew members, and Space Hero, a reality TV contest that will send one person to space. If opening space travel up to untrained passengers seemed to be around the corner and the reality TVification of space seemed just beyond it, well, we've officially reached both. I'll talk to Miriam about all of this in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Miriam Kramer, author of the Axios Space Newsletter. Welcome back, Miriam. Let's start with a quick recap. What is so unique about this mission? This mission is the first all-civilian trip to space. So it's the first mission that will have only sort of normal people, average everyday folks, getting to fly to space without an astronaut, without the backing of a government. It's very much sort of private sector driven, driven by these four individuals that have been chosen to, to fly. When you were here last time, you talked about what this mission would mean for space tourism, which is the main way that you know regular civilians are able to go to space currently. But it actually seems like as this is developing, there are even higher stakes to this mission. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as this mission has developed, it's been really interesting to kind of see the the narrative that's in many ways being built up around it. Uh, the sort of the hopes of the industry are riding on this mission. You have these four people, these four civilians. The general idea is that if SpaceX can manage to pull this off, it's a proof of concept. It shows that like their model will work for spaceflight. That means that many different types of people who maybe have not historically been able to access spaceflight will be able to fly. And that in some ways has become the business model for for most of the space industry. Like you need these high profile moments in order to, to get those things going in the future. If we go really far down the road, what does that look like? Does it mean that really truly anybody could fly eventually and that the future of the space industry is that anybody could fly? I think in theory, that's what these companies are aiming for. That's what SpaceX believes that it wants to be doing. I mean, they have this dream of of sending, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people to space. Like Elon Musk wants to build a city on Mars. You don't do that by just sending professional astronauts. You need to do that through sending normal people with a variety of different skills. And I think that that's what this mission is sort of starting to prove out. Like these, when I say normal people, like the folks that have been selected for this mission, I think 
in many ways are kind of normal and you would recognize them from your everyday lives, but they're also kind of exceptional. I mean, they, they have been chosen for this for a reason. Let's dig in there on the folks that are actually on this mission. So last time you were on, you talked about Haley Arsenault. She is a volunteer who is joining the mission through St. Jude. She had actually been treated by St. Jude when she was a kid. She was fighting childhood cancer. Now she works there, and they gave her this opportunity to go on the space flight. Today, the other two crew members for a total of four were announced. Can you update us on the latest that we know about the crew? One of the crew members chosen is named Cyan Proctor. She is a community college professor and geoscientist who has been in the space world for a very long time. She won her seat through what was effectively a Shark Tank-style competition where a panel of judges chose her from a group of many people to, to basically win. And she's actually been an analog astronaut. She took part in the high seas mission with NASA, which is a simulation of a Mars mission for a number of months in Hawaii. And Miriam, could you just define what an analog astronaut is for listeners? An analog astronaut is someone on Earth who kind of simulates space missions. You can do that in a variety of ways, like going to sort of extreme environments. You can also simulate spaceflight by going underwater. There's a lot of stuff you can do on Earth to kind of make our understanding of space travel a little better. I'm curious about the other crew member who was selected and announced today, Chris. Yeah, Chris Zembrowski. So he is a self-described space nerd, and he was selected as it's called the generosity seat for this mission, which is interesting because that seat was chosen through a raffle. And actually, Chris was not selected at first. The person chosen was a friend of Chris who actually gifted him the seat. He transferred the seat for reasons that weren't disclosed. He wasn't able to accept the trip to space. You've had a chance to speak to both of them on tape. And I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about those conversations and how they feel about being part of this? Yeah. Uh, so Chris and Cyan are are both incredibly excited for the trip. I think for Cyan, this is a dream come true for her. I mean, she's wanted to be an astronaut for a number of years and has sort of been involved in the space industry. And she actually, she told me a little bit about her path to actually being able to fly on this mission. Originally thought that it was a Zoom call to go over some administrative stuff for my contest entry. So I had no clue that they were going to tell me that I won. And so I can say it felt a lot like uh, when Harry Potter found out he was a wizard, where you're just kind of like, uh, did, he, did you just say I won? <laughs> Chris is also an interesting case because he was never expecting to fly. I mean, he never really expected to become an astronaut or was working toward that necessarily. Like he was a space camp counselor, but that's sort of about it. And this is what he told me about the moment that he found out he was going to space. I'm very much a space nerd. And so following SpaceX and Blue Origin and all the launches that NASA uh, does from, from the Cape, and so I was like, okay, this is cool. I get to donate to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And then I forgot about it until they started giving me phone calls, you know, a month later. There have been some other big updates to this mission since the last time that you were on the show. Two that jump out are that the actual launch date has shifted. Another is that there is a new window being installed on the spacecraft that people are very excited about. I'm just curious, can you unpack some of these updates to the mission itself? 
Sure. So the the big update is that they've actually moved the mission up, which I have to say is, as a space reporter, it is something that I have pretty much never seen before. <laughs> They're planning to fly now no earlier than September 15th. The original date was no earlier than October 15th. So actually moving up by a month is, is pretty fascinating. Uh, a lot of the reason for that is actually scheduling at the International Space Station. And since SpaceX is a big supporter of that through NASA, they needed to give more room basically around October to make sure that SpaceX could you know, do its duty there. They also found out today that it's going to be a three-day mission, and they are expecting to fly higher than the Hubble Space Telescope, which is a big symbolic thing because that's pretty much as high as people have flown since the Apollo days. So the way that sort of Jared and, and the crew are looking at it is that it's going to represent a bridge, basically, from our ambitions on Earth and around Earth to the moon and to Mars. And can you tell us about this window? Well, so windows in space in general are pretty like risky. What SpaceX has done is, is built this big sort of circular window that is going to be attached to the Dragon, which they don't actually have flying at the moment. This window is like a brand new thing that they're doing for these kinds of missions. Honestly, it's kind of an exciting moment for space nerds. <laughs> <laughs> because this is the kind of thing that all of us get super excited about because it's this very, it's just a new thing in spaceflight. So having something like that on this mission kind of like ups the, the nerd factor by a bit. Have we heard anything out of Elon Musk, obviously the founder of SpaceX, as this mission has developed and progressed? You know, Elon's been pretty focused on Starship. Uh, Starship is sort of the company's next big thing. It's going to be the ship and the vehicle that takes, you know, in theory, takes us to the moon, to Mars. Like, it's the big, big rocket. And right now, they're going through this pretty intense testing program in Texas at their test site. So they've been kind of, you know, blowing up a couple of these every other week or so. This morning, for example, there was a, a Starship prototype that actually failed when it launched and then announced, uh, they had this, this announcement later in the morning. So it's a very, it's a very SpaceX kind of thing. There was a press briefing today for the mission, like you mentioned, and Jared Isaacman actually referred to himself and the other crew members as commercial astronauts. Can you unpack that phrase and what it means in the industry? And is that how you think about them? Yeah, yeah it's an interesting phrase. For me, and I think for a lot of space reporters, we usually see commercial astronauts as people who are hired by companies to go to space because the expectation is eventually that's what will be happening. It won't just be NASA astronauts. They're going to be commercial astronauts. In fact, there are already commercial astronauts employed by companies. So uh, those folks I see as, as actually a form of professional astronaut. Like usually when I think commercial astronaut, I think like, oh, a company is, is paying your wages and you're doing a job in space. I personally would think of this crew more as space tourists than as commercial astronauts. And it's not a, a denigrating thing. It's not like a, I don't think it's a bad connotation necessarily. I just think that it's a, a more descriptive term because these are folks who are not being paid to go to space. They're not employed by companies. They're going for fun. They're going because this is like an exciting moment, an exciting trip. And there's room for that in space too. It's just that referring to themselves as commercial astronauts. And I, I'm curious to see how that language might change in the future. 
I have one last question for you. I just want to zoom out for a second. There have been these two other missions that were announced, Dear Moon and Space Hero. One is pretty similar. It was funded by a billionaire, and it's supposed to open up space travel to more people. The other is a straight-up reality TV program. And I'm curious, across these three missions, are there trends that are jumping out at you? It's a really interesting time right now because you're just sort of starting to see the first wave of these billionaires of these organizations that are like, we can buy trips to space and then give them to people. And I think that that's, that's a lot of what's happening. Like the price of admission has dropped enough that you have rich people and, you know, TV shows that are able to actually get in on the ground floor with spaceflight and send folks to space. The main overarching trend that I'm kind of seeing with this is that there's a thread that runs through these three competitions, which is basically saying, hey, normal folks, tell us why you deserve this. And it's very much like, we want you to go to space, but also you need to be sort of deserving of going to space. And we are the arbiters of of if you are deserving or not. So it's it's set up a pretty interesting dynamic that I think will be fascinating to watch in the future. I think that a lot of these organizations that are doing this are hyper aware of that dynamic and trying to offset it through you know, outreach or whatever it might be. But it's definitely a dynamic that exists and one that, you know, should be carefully watched. (laughs) Miriam Kramer, author of the Axios Space Newsletter, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. What we're reading today is a new survey that finds vaccine reluctance is on the decline. This new survey of 80,000 U.S. adults was conducted between March 3rd and 15th by the Census Bureau, the CDC, and the National Center for Health Statistics. It found that only 17% of respondents now say that they definitely or probably won't get vaccinated, down from 22%, although almost all of that decrease is in the probably camp. The definitelys are standing their ground. Two big study notes. One, Southern states had the highest rates of vaccine reluctance. Two, public health experts had initially raised concern because Black Americans were far more likely to say that they would not or probably would not get vaccinated. But that gap appears to be shrinking, from a difference of 13 percentage points to just five compared to white Americans. At this point, multiple surveys have now demonstrated these trends. The bottom line is that the holdouts, who are the least likely to change their minds on vaccination, are white rural Republicans. And we're done. Big thanks for listening, and to producers Tim Shovers, Alex Sugiera, and our executive producer, Dan Bobkoff. Have a great national I am in control day. Yeah, that's today. And I actually am. Look it up. But Dan will be back tomorrow with another Axios recap. 